Hope you're doing okay. Yeah, some of you are. No, it is really good to see you on this, uh, on this uh, spring break uh, morning. You know, uh, I got to get, get on, on Troy's case a little bit. You know, he gets on mine sometimes, so this is just appropriate, Troy. Did you hear him just say that he doesn't understand why you're here and why you're not at the beach? Did you hear him say that? Well, someone, would you please, when this is over, right, that, would you please go tell him why you're here if he doesn't know? That's good. Thank you for that. You know, uh, it is just good to see you. Uh, I was, I was kind of reflecting with some, uh, some of the deacons in our prayer meeting this morning that, uh, we had an absolute, utterly packed out to the last seat in this sanctuary crowd for a news boys, uh, concert on Friday. Just a few news boys. We are a whole congregation of news people. We can do this, right? We can do this, right? Every Sunday, it will be natural and only good if we had to say, hey, hey, wait, let me have someone find the last seat in the sanctuary for you. Uh, I want to talk to you this morning. We're in the middle of a, of a series uh, that we call For Life, playing on that uh, dual, dual meaning there, for the sake of life or even for the generation and creation of life and then for the duration uh, of life. And so if you wonder who is this guy standing up here, my name is Previn Vong. I'm the pastor here during this interim period. And, and I want us to look from Acts chapter 12 on faithfulness for life uh, <clears throat> this morning. You know, uh, there's so much to be said. And, and as before we end this service, I want us to also say just a little bit, because we can't meet as a as a Christian congregation and not say a word about Ukraine. But I wanted this Sunday to, to kind of maybe leave that to the end of the service uh, also. As you find uh, chapter 8 in the book of Acts, or we'll follow along here later on, uh, let me say this about faithfulness. There's something about this that engenders human interest, right? If you see stories about extraordinarily faithful animals or dogs, and some of you may have them, you know, in your own mind, a specific story with that, and it just kind of engenders uh, human interest. And if that is true about animals or dogs, maybe in, in particular, as, as you think through that, how much more should that not be true we talk about faithfulness of human beings. So if I say that word faithful, what, what comes to mind? Well, what, what are you thinking? How would you define that? If I said everybody write down a sentence, maybe two, that defines the word faithful. If you look in the dictionary, of course, there, there's usually uh, two or three kind of major definitions on that, right? One is that you are are loyal toward your promises. It's one definition. Another definition is that you are very precise in the in the doing of a task, faithfully performing what you're supposed to do. Another uh, or third may be that you are uh, just very steadily 
pursuing that one thing, that one allegiance, that one commitment. If you look at the stars, you'll find words like, like loyalty, like, like, uh, like endurance, like dedication, uh, and those kinds of words that, that kind of explains and gives synonyms for what we mean when we say faithful. So in Greek, of course, the word that is used in scripture in the original language, this refers to that which is trust. Word, this was is worthy of your trust, that which engenders your trust, that which inspires trust and allegiance. And so to be faithful has to do with being like God. That there's something about being inspired by the very nature of who God is that calls forth Faithfulness. We serve a God whose great mark of recognition is faithfulness. If you can say anything about God, he is faithful. He is faithful in his care. He is faithful in his love. He is faithful in his providence. He is faithful in his presence. He is faithful in his patience. He is faithful in his forgiveness. He is faithful in his love. He is faithful in his promises. He is faithful in his deeds. He is faithful. That's who God is. In fact, when Paul opens his letter to his most beloved uh, church in, in Philippi, he begins like this. He says, I'm convinced that the one who began a good work in you is faithful and he will bring it to completion at the end. To strive to be faithful is to strive to be like God at a very important point. In the New Testament, in the New Testament description of the early church, those who are useful for God's kingdom in a special way, it's almost like a matter of course. Obviously, they are faithful. And so I want to look at a person today called John Mark, or Mark as we often know him. And I want to read some some uh, text that, that deals with he, who he is. And he becomes intriguing in so many ways because his life is not linear. He has ups and downs and difficult periods so much like ours. It's not just that, that he became a Christian. Then from that on, everything was great. So if you will uh, look with me, we'll begin here in verse 12. Uh, and, and we're in... We're in this, this great, great, uh, story here about, uh, about Peter who had been taken captive and he was in prison and the church had gathered to pray for him. One of my favorite stories. I'm going to tell you why in a minute. So as soon as he, uh, realized this, that is Peter, that he had been set free, right? He went to the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many had assembled and were praying. And he knocked on the door uh, of the outer gate, and the servant named Rhoda came uh, and answered. And she recognized Peter's voice, and because of her joy, she did not open, but ran uh, in and announced that Peter was standing at the outer gate. And the church don't believe them. Now, we just prayed this, but, um, you know, it's not that we believe what we pray or God can do what we pray. We just say things, right? How funny is this? 
You got to hear me. They're praying and God answers the prayer and they say, no, 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 it can't be Peter. There's no way. I, I, I love that. That's just a great story. And so it goes on, right? And, and so he comes in, he explains, and then in verse 24, the word of God flourished and multiplied. And after they had completed their relief mission, Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem, taking along John, who was called Mark. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, and the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called him. Then after they had fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went to uh, Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Arriving in Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God uh, in the Jewish synagogue. They also had John, that's John Mark, as their assistant. And so the story goes, and then in verse 13, uh, Paul and his companions set sail from Pamphus and came to Perga in Pamphylia. But John left them and went back to Jerusalem. And a little bit later, uh, in chapter 15, we see uh, a difficult situation. Verse 37. Barnabas uh, and Paul are getting ready to, to leave again on the next journey. And Barnabas wanted to take along John Mark. But Paul insisted that they could not take along this man who had deserted him in Pamphylia. And had not gone on with them to the work. And they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed off to Cyprus. And then we're going to go a little bit further. And Paul is now uh, a little bit later riding to a church in Colossae. And now listen to what he says. Barnabas. Hey, I say, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends your greetings. And does bark. Barnabas' cousin. Concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. Because he has been a great comfort to me. More than anything else, Mark was known as a helper. And what makes him so powerful for us to look at when it comes to that question of faithfulness, it's because his life was not linear, as we just saw. Very difficult things happened in his life, and we're going to try to unpack some of that. He was known for that, and he strikes us as one who is primarily known as a helper. We don't see him lead things at all. He's on a mission journey, you know, led by Barnabas and Paul. He, he's working with Peter, uh, and Peter calls him his son. Clearly, Peter is the one leading here. And so, who is this man that we can learn so much from as uh, Christians today, and if you're following along, which I hope uh, many of you are also uh, from home or wherever you are, uh, in a vacation cabin, maybe other places, listen up here when we listen and when we look at, at Mark, there's something very, very powerful to learn from this ordinary person in the early church. 
I grew up in Jerusalem. Uh, his mother uh, was a widow, uh, very influential in the church, uh, a strong leader there, and, and uh, probably rather well-to-do because we know that she had servants and she had a house that was big enough to kind of hold a big group of, of the large church in Jerusalem and a group large enough for it to be probably the main group. Uh, at least you would think so since that's where Peter goes and where he teaches a lot in the house of Mary. And so he grew up, Mark did, in a home where he saw all these things happen. A very close relationship uh, to all the great things that, that happened in the new, in the young church, right? As a young man right there had experienced how God's faithful care for his people had changed lives in a very real, visible way. Things were different in the church from what was happening outside. And so we meet him here for the first time in that prayer meeting that we just talked about before and where people are gathered to pray for the release of Peter. And Peter comes in and he explains all these things that God has just done. And you can read the story yourself about how, how the chains and the shackle fell off his arms and his feet and so on. And he heard that and the young Mark was right there. And his shape his life and his faith and his thinking. And, and you know, I, I can't read these things without thinking, here's this young man growing up in a home, and that's what people gather for in that home to talk about what God is doing, to sing God's praise, if you will. Can I encourage you all to always look for what God is doing. You know, we, we are, we're so good at rationalizing all things, right? We, we are, we are just, uh, raising out to find your great things are happening, but then, you know, uh, it's all coincidental. We have this kind of rationalistic worldview where everything can, can be explained with some kind of indifferent kind of argument. Instead of realizing that when we bathe our lives in prayer, when we wrap our existence in our pursuit of knowing God's will in our lives, he is right there with us. His hand is visible. And the things we sometimes write off as pure coincidence or accident was actually God working in your life. Are you hearing this? I mean, just, just don't miss this. Just the same way that when you see God work in your life, and that becomes like a booster of faith. Well, I prayed, God acted, and I see it because I'm looking for it. The same way when you're looking for everything else to explain it, your faith becomes irrelevant and unimportant for everyday life. And so here we are, and we find this, this young Mark you know, listening to that testimony about how prayer changes things. And it shaped him in the strongest way. You know, I, I'm not spending much time in 
and sermons kind of talking about me and us and what we do. But I, I want to just share a thing also from my own life. We're just little boys, just little boys. My brother and I, you know, five years, four years old, whatever, um, put in bed early because of now a little apartment, staircase apartment. You know, people coming in, ringing the doorbell at night, 7, 7.30, uh, and they're coming in, pouring into that little, uh, you know, living room. And uh, our, our little boys' room there were, were right next to it. And so we're hearing them come in, and we're hearing them talk, and suddenly we hear them pray and hear them sing. And, and you know, we got curious. We'll crack the door and kind of peek in. You know, we're not supposed to go in with that, right? We just peeked in because we'd already been put to bed. And I saw Dad would read from Scripture and talk about the Bible. I saw they prayed, and, and, and some would be sitting in a chair. Some would be kneeling. On, and it shapes a young soul. Imagine this. Imagine this. When we meet, either in our homes or here, at church, in our prayer groups, and in our Bible study groups, or just together, when we are here, when we are together with each other, that our conversation is about what God has done in our lives since last we met. Imagine that. If that was what captured us, you know, I hadn't seen us in tooth, but let me tell you, this is what God has been doing. That would be similar to what boosted his faith. So next time we hear about, about Mark, he's arriving, or Barnabas and Paul are arriving in Jerusalem, and they're most likely, they're bringing a gift of, of, uh, of, of money actually to the church that was uh, struck with, with famine and, and going through very kind of difficult times with that. Most likely they stayed in, in Mary's house. Uh, she was the mother of Mark and she was the aunt of, of Barnabas when they were there. And when they leave, they bring Barnabas to go with them to Antioch and from there to be a helper, as we just read. Now, we don't know what that helping meant. Maybe it was just secretarial. Maybe he was kind of sitting up itineraries, finding places to stay, finding places where they could speak. Maybe he was organizing schedules. Maybe he was kind of setting up appointments uh, for Paul and Barnabas. We don't know. It could be that he was more involved directly in the ministry, that he also participated in the counseling that was there, also participated in the intercession that uh, that went there, and also participated maybe in the baptism and the conversation that preceded the baptism the conversation about faith that was there. And maybe he even preached sometimes. We don't know exactly what that word uh, meant that is there because that, that's a very broad word for just helping and assisting. But regardless what we know, we know that something happened. When they got to Pergia in, in, uh, in Pamphylia, Mark left to go home. We're not exactly sure what happened, what was going on. 
Maybe he had just kind of gotten used to life on the velvet pillows, if you will, at home. Maybe he was used to having, you know, helpers uh, where he lived at home. Uh, and it was hard for him suddenly to become just a helper. We don't really know. Maybe uh, it, it was one of these things where the resistance and the opposition was just too tough. For him, he was still a somewhat of a young Christian at home. People had loved him. They had encouraged him. They said, you're great. We love that you have faith. And they, all of that. And now he met people who just want to stone him. Whatever good he tried to do, and he thought, I got to get some thanks for that. I'm paying a lot of price. I'm sacrificing what I used to have for this. And he just got even more resistance. So when the demands were too high, He packed up his good stuff and went back home. Enough is enough. You know, we all know that, don't we? To greater or lesser degree from our own lives. Life is not linear. It's not like we start low and it just goes in a linear line up better and better every day. It's not like that. Well, sometimes we... What we thought would bless us turn out to be a curse. Really, it, it gives greater problems than we had ever anticipated. We throw ourselves into a specific task for God. It may kind of stretch us beyond our own capacity. And what we thought, everybody would recognize how much we're putting into that. Nobody seems to, say, to see it. And we feel a little bit offended maybe, maybe even a little bit hurt. And so we give up. Mark's experience is not uncommon, is it? It's not. Even if you won't say, I know what you're talking about. We know this is so. And so here it is. We can't notice what he missed without also noticing how he came through it. This is the power, right? There's two years since we, uh, until we hear about him again. Then we hear about the fallout we just read about here between him and Barnabas. Him going to, to uh, Cyprus with Barnabas. Paul going on the second, what we now call the second missionary journey with Silas. And then something happened. From being one who just ran away and ran home when the situation was too tough. Now, next time we hear about Mark, we hear about this mature Christian who is able to encourage even Paul. Did you notice what we read from Colossians chapter 4? When he writes to that church, when Mark comes to you, receive him well with full welcome. Why? He has been a great what? Comfort to me. Very useful in the ministry. Something happened in his life, friends. We're not sure what it might have been. It could be, of course, that it was Barnabas' loving encouragement while they were in Cyprus. We know that Barnabas is an encouraging kind of figure, right? We see that, and we may get to that even in, in this series. Maybe that was it. You know, encouragement to, to the one who, who is uh, downtrodden and, and feel not sufficient in what he's doing is like gold to the poor. It's like water in an arid area. So, 
Maybe he's had new meetings with the Lord. Maybe he realized that the Lord who was faithful to him in order for him to look like that Lord that he called his, his master and Lord, he had to rethink some things in his own life. We don't know what caused the change, but we do know that it happened. From him just being a, a jolly, happy, kind of things are good, kind of guy that, that didn't have the depths needed when things became tough, he became this deeply committed, this deeply rooted, this strong person who could be of comfort and help to others who were thinking life is just tough. Are we getting this? Can I ask a question? That's a question I had to ask myself, and I actually ask it a few times every so often, on that spectrum that, that goes between the, the young, immature, if you will, Mark that, that just thought things were great but had to run when they were too tough. And then this mature Mark in the other end who was able to stand firm and bring comfort in the midst of the most difficult times. On that spectrum, where are you? Are you closest to the one that ran away or closest to the one who brought comfort to others? Can I say it this way? It doesn't really matter where you are because we are all on that line. We Are we not? We all are, right? But what matters is which direction you're moving, right? Which direction are you moving? What is coming next? Are you looking to learn from the one who grew to become mature or the one who just got stuck in the flea and the escape? That's what you see right here. It's an amazing, an amazing development of this person. And you see it strongest, probably the strongest place you'll ever see it is in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, where, where Paul is writing, you know, and I mentioned that before. I love these last verses that he, where he knew that it's not going to be long, probably a couple of weeks before he was decapitated. And he says, I have no one here when he writes to Timothy but Luke, the beloved physician, and when you come, bring Mark. Bring Mark. He's in such a comfort to me. It's hard to imagine when you see this. Peter is expressing the exact same, same thing. We know from tradition that, that, that what we have in what's called now the gospel of Mark are somewhat the written rendition of the spoken sermons of Peter. Here's a person who knew his call, who had met Christ, who knew of his weaknesses, who had gone through some difficulties, but he said, I'm going to be like the Lord I call my Savior. You know, we're used to thinking about these biblical characters as these great leaders, these majestic kind of personalities. We don't ever hear about Mark leading anything, nothing. In fact, to call him a great leader is probably a mistake. There's always a Peter there. 
There's always a Paul. There's always a Barnabas whenever you hear any talk about Mark. So what we see is that that mature Mark is there faithfully willing to help and to support. And say, that's the calling God has put on my life. I'm going to do with that everything I can to live that out. As we're reading about all these kind of spiritual gifts uh, kind of things that you do, very little is often talked about the gift of helps. Well, when you look at Mark, that's what you see. Here's no, I want to help if no is yes, I'm willing to serve. Whether it's with Peter who had his strong opinion about stuff, you know that, right? Or Paul who was not timid at all either, right? Or Barnabas who was a different kind of character altogether. No matter what, here's the mature Mark, I will be faithful to the one I call Lord. I'm called to his kingdom. I'm there for the sake of life, for the generation of life, for the creation. I see what happens when he was faithful for the duration of life. Sure. But in a way that it generated. Life. Are we able still, friends, to be inspired by these folks? They're just like you and me. There's nothing different with that. You know, his pew would have looked different in his mama's house. But other than that. Lord, I ask that you would do a very special work in our lives. There are some here, there are some listening from a different location. There are some watching this, maybe even at a different time. God, would you take these words? And then as we look at this person, inspire us. Allow us to say the right kind of prayers and ask for the right kind of dedication. Whatever is happening in Mark's life, may that happen also in ours. That we see that movement. Father, we need you. All we do when we say faithfulness is to respond to your faithfulness. And so even at this moment, as we talk about life itself, would you move as you have been? Move by your spirit up and down these aisles, up and down these pews. Speak to us. We need to hear from you in a strong way. Give us the boldness that is required to, to pray, to stand up and say, I want to dedicate my life in a new way. However that worked for Mark, may that work also for me. We ask that. The power of your spirit and on the authority of the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.
Let's stand, friends. And as you know, it's always open. You may want to be where you are, grab someone's hand and say, let's pray right now. You may want to kneel in your pew. You may want to come forward here. You may want to say, hey, I want to talk to someone about faith. I want to talk to someone about being a part of this great fellowship. Whatever God is talking to you about right now. Don't just spend this moment as, well, we've got to wrap it up. Let's this moment be a moment where you deal with the Lord.